Wednesday, October 6th, CSI, the global phenomenon, opens a brand new chapter in Las Vegas, and an existential threat calls the crime lab's legacy and future into question. A brilliant new team of investigators will enlist the help of friends from the past as they deploy the latest forensic techniques to do what they do best, follow the evidence, in order to preserve and serve justice in Sin City and uncover the truth. CSI Vegas series premiere Wednesday, October 6th on CBS. The Ford Mustang Mach-E, the F-150 Lightning, the E-Transit van, three of America's most iconic popular vehicles. They've been fully electrified and they're making the revolutionary feel familiar. We've got a feeling they'll help make electric vehicles even more popular for all Americans. Call it a hunch. Ford Electric Vehicles, built for America, built Ford proud. Sherbrooke Record, Friday, November 3rd, 1978. The killer of a seven-year-old was sentenced to 25 years in prison without parole Thursday by a judge who described his crime as one of the most repugnant and savage in the memory of man. Superior Court Justice Jean Bienvenu warned 44-year-old Guy Field found guilty in the December 28, 1977 slaying of Brigitte Roberge in nearby Levi. He may never be granted freedom. This is Who Killed Teresa. the dark stuff. I know. You like the dark stuff. I like it too. I've been combing my um, my files. I have several, as you would imagine, file boxes of paper information, newspaper reports, notes, etc. And I've been going kind of systematically through all of it because I figured I better I better catalog what I already have because as we've already documented, a lot of it I've forgotten about. Before I start doing more research, and um, I found some interesting treasures in there that I forgot about. I mean, to, to not give too much away, but one thing I, I found, uh, I think we spent a lot of time on this uh, podcast talking about, of course, a series of victims in the 70s, particularly two um, unidentified uh, victims. Uh, one, the Lemieux girl found... Um, Two years later, over where Sharon Pryor was found, um, wrapped in like a blanket or a carpet. The other one was an unknown uh, girl who came to be uh, identified as Maria Dolores uh, Brava or Bravo, who was found like in a metal box um, in an industrial area over by the airport in Montreal in 1979 and had spent considerable time, particularly, well, on both of them, but on the, the Brava Bravo case trying to identify who this person was, went so far as to enlist the assistance of the Cold Case Bureau Sûreté de Québec, personally spoke to Marc Lepin about it, who told me who she was. 
um, all for nothing. I really didn't need their help because, God damn it, I had the information in my file all along. Going through my notes, and there, sure enough, is an entire article on the case. She's known as the Montreal Lolita. Um, I didn't pay any attention to it because the reason I photocopied this particular page, I was more interested in the accusations of a case in Wickham, Quebec, which is closer to the eastern townships. I had no interest in the uh, Maria Dolores case, but nevertheless, <laughs> there was everything, pictures, the whole the whole nine yards, um, specific places and dates, and I'm going to be a big freaking tease right now because I'm not going to tell you anything about it because this is the stuff that I got to stay uh, clear of in order to... Um, stay in good um, in good standing with my Random House editors. So we're not going to talk about that one. But what I can talk about today is is the um, the murder of uh, uh, seven-year-old Brigitte Roberge at the hands of Guy Field. The reason I feel confident talking about Field is it's sort of a one-off case. Um... This occurred in the December of 1977, so he didn't kill Teresa. He certainly uh, didn't kill anyone um, in the 80s and 90s because he was never let out of a prison. Uh, and he's a uh, bread-in-the-bone pedophile. Uh, that is his uh, metier. And uh, so he de- definitely didn't, um, as far as I am confident uh, have anything to do with any of the cases we've discussed in the uh, in the 70s although he did have a very long track record of offenses through the 50s 60s and and 70s right up until uh the murder of of uh Bridget uh, Roberge so that's why um I feel that uh, this is a pretty good case to focus on the other thing is it, it's it's not in Montreal or the eastern townships it's in Levi Quebec and if you don't know where Levi is it's directly across the river the St. Lawrence River from Quebec City you cross the bridge the Pierre Laporte uh, bridge and you're in in Levi and in fact, from from the environ where this all takes place, you can see across the river the plains of Abraham, the um, the the chateau uh, uh, hotel. Jeez, um, what's the name of that hotel? Of uh, chateau, I wanted to say Chateau Champlain. It's not the Chateau Champlain. Chateau Neuf de Pape. No, it's um, uh, um, Chateau Frontenac. You know, the big, the Frontenac, the big castle. So it all takes place right there. And Levi, if it sounds familiar, that is the place uh, in the 2000s where uh, Marilyn Bergeron disappeared from. It's where uh, Natalie Goodbow disappeared from, although we've not discussed it, but that case. So, the, but that's, that's our locale uh, for this episode, Levi, Quebec. I've had this one greasy photocopy from Allo Police for almost two decades now in, in a file box about Guy Field. Because like any classic uh, Grand Guignol story account, it horrifies and fascinates and you, you 
you feel a little bit disgusted looking at it, but yet at the same time, like a car crash, you can't take your eyes off it. And um, the the title alone is probably what first struck me. It's uh, Le Monstre de Levi, The Monster of Levi. Another child victim of a madman liberated by the psychiatrists. He emptied the child's intestines and then tore up her genital organs. That's the headline. Um, and it doesn't get any better <laughs> than, than that. It gets worse and, and worse. This uh, horrifying story of a 44-year-old uh, madman as Allo Police would characterize him, preying on a seven-and-a-half-year-old, I believe. Uh, Brigitte had ce celebrated her seventh birthday in July of 77, and the events in this tale took place just after Christmas in December 77. I'm going to tell you what, what happened um, in this case, the... Uh, the disappearance, the research, recovery, and arrest. But uh, there's very little surprises here. We've told this story all too many times. What is more interesting to me, although I'm not discounting the tragedy of the events of, of uh, uh, the murder of a child, but what is more interesting to me is what happened in the, the aftermath um leading up to the trial and sentencing of Guy Field. Now, December, as we said, uh, uh, 28th, um, the day of her disappearance, it's, it's sort of a, a regular day. Um, she, uh, uh, Brigitte Roberge, lives with her mother and father um, on the second store, uh, second story of an apartment at 43 uh, Rue Wolf in Levi. Uh, the father goes off to uh, work, uh, Michel uh, Roberge, in, in the morning, leaving behind his wife, um, uh, Lucie, uh, with their two children. There's a baby boy who's three years old, and then there's seven-year-old Brigitte. And around uh, 11.30 in the morning... Um, Madame uh, Roberge, um, she sends uh, uh, Brigitte on an errand to a corner store, a dépanneur, and it's it's three blocks straight shot up the street, a uh, uh, hundred feet um, to uh, Foyer de Fumor at seventy two uh, Rue Wolf. And uh, the child is charged with picking up a six-pack of Coca-Cola and a pint of milk. And her mother gives her $2 to do this. So that's her job. That's her destination. She leaves at um, 11.30. By 11.45... Uh, the mother's a little concerned. She hasn't returned. Fifteen minutes pass. 
So she phones the Dipener, and uh, the um, the owners know her well. Presumably, she's been on this uh, uh, this type of errand before. But they tell Madame Roberge that um, they have not seen Brigitte. She has not entered the Dépanneur in the uh, prior 15 minutes. This is um, Roberge, Madame uh, Roberge, spends the next hour up until about one o'clock checking with neighbors to see if perhaps uh, Brigitte went over to see a friend. But... um, it's it's negative. They they can't find anything, and and after almost an hour hour and a half, um, Madame Roberge decides to call the um, the police. She first calls the uh, municipal police of Levi, um, uh, and the, a detective uh, Gerard Lemieux is charged. And uh, in addition of, to beginning uh, beginning a, a, a search, they get the local. Um, amateur radio group, you know, on the CB radios to talk up the the matter of this disappearance. In short order, the Sarté de Québec is also brought in and they, uh, they bring in the participation of a, uh, of a sniffer dog named uh, Grimm. Um, but um, it, it goes nowhere. They, they can't, she's, she's not found and right around six o'clock, the police come to the uh, conclusion that the child has been uh, probably abducted on her way to the restaurant. Now, this is a little interesting. Um, within five hours in 1977, the police quickly conclude that this child was abducted. Yet in many other cases, uh, we've covered most notoriously, the Cedrica Provence case um, in the 2000s, uh, it was with much reluctance that the police would admit an abduction. In fact, uh, they were stubborn in the first 48 hours, and so much time was lost in that case, but not in the case of Brigitte. Um, and perhaps what happened next tells us why. The Municipal Police of Levi and Sûreté de Québec must have had at this point what I imagine to be a complete oh fuck moment. Because what they learn is that a guy named Guy Field is living in the neighborhood, had been living in the neighborhood uh, where Brigitte went missing. And um, Field was well known. He had over two decades of offenses uh, behind him as a child molester. And, um, and what they find is, uh, is that he's, he's been living right there since November uh, 19th, 1977, in a, in, in, in a rooming house at uh, 13 uh, Côte uh, Labadie, which overlooks the St. Lawrence um, and it's it's less than 10, 10 miles uh, from where the girl has disappeared. As I say, Geefield was well known to law enforcement. He had been a, a burden and a, 
a problem to the Quebec's uh, criminal justice, social justice system for decades. His crimes that were known of span from 1952 to 1975 um, in various uh, flavors. Uh, and so they go hunting for not only the, the Brigitte uh, Roberge, but now they're on the hunt for uh, Guy Field. And they eventually find Field in an Anglican church. He's praying um, the church uh, Marie uh, Rolette in the, just near where he, he lived. And he offers n no resistance whatsoever. In fact, he offers to drive himself to the police station in order to undergo the interrogation. Not long after that, around nine o'clock at night, uh, the um, police find uh, the semi-nude body of Brigitte Roberge. Uh, she's uh, recovered uh, in the gallery of the chalet of the golf club in Levi, um, which is uh, just uh, a little bit southeast for, of where she disappeared. And uh, eventually, uh, so Field is, is locked up. He's not, you know, he's not going to be uh, granted bail or anything. He, from this point on, he's incarcerated. And um, he offers that he met Brigitte in uh, another church. He was in the, um, uh, the Catholic church, um, uh, Église Notre-Dame de Victoire, and the child... Uh, wandered in and Field claims that far from him praying on Brigitte it was Brigitte Roberge who made advances on Guy Field I couldn't tell if the bells are getting louder the songs they ring I finally recognized I only know hell is getting hotter, devil's getting smarter all the time. And it would be nice to walk upon the water, talk again to angels on my side. The first thing that happens is the press and the community go apeshit. And particularly uh, the journalist uh, Eddie Labrie uh, for the newspaper uh, Journal de Quebec, um, beginning in early January, uh, writes a series of salacious uh, articles uh, characterizing uh, Field as an odious character, executioner, monsters. Field is held in the uh, Orsonville prison and uh, 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 Le says there's four monsters rotting in the dungeons of Orsonville. Um, and eventually, of course, as you would imagine, uh, what, what happens, the prison population turns on him, on a child molester, and Field is forced into solitary confinement. And, of course, he attempts suicide. He attempts to to take his life. What else uh, would you expect would happen? Uh, the um, Journal de Quebec goes far as um, 
to say that uh, in these cases uh, we should reinstate the death penalty to settle cases like those of Field. It's the, um, you know, it's the right-wing equivalent of uh, Pierre Bourvenu saying uh, when, when, when these type of fellows are locked up in prison, we should give them a noose and they can take care of the problem themselves. Um, now, I'm no libtard by any means. Uh, I am just pointing out the facts. And I certainly, as many people, feel the vengeance um, uh, in, in my bones uh, um, about these sort of things. But I don't see that as a solution. I never think it's very helpful when when I see on social media about any of these characters, even today, uh, when when somebody will will react from the gut and simply and not from the head, and simply said, you know, fuck that shit, fuck, and just fucking kill him or lock him away forever. Um, that is satisfying um, for about two minutes. Um, but it, uh, what are we beasts? It doesn't, if, if, if we don't operate with some sort of moral conscience, then we are, we are no better than, than beasts. And I don't think that's why we've been put on this planet. At the same time, uh, I think there's, there's, uh, limits to the outrage, uh, in a series of editorials in uh, Le Devoir newspaper, I believe they went a little too far in attacking the journalists with the uh, Journal de Quebec. Um, they they take the high road to say the least. He says, um, um, Field is entitled to the presumption of innocence mentioned above. Articles written by your journalists are not justified they only result in creating injustices. Uh, they will have been momentarily to satisfy the thirst for vengeance felt by a community in the face of the announcement of a revolting crime. It is likely that if Guy Field had been handed over to the vendetta, either from the prison population or outside the walls, he would no longer be alive today. And then it goes on to say, the fact remains, however, that the journalist's ethics remain and the judicial chronicler should know the principles we have set out above and respect them, even if the current legislation does not force him to do so. Uh, can't ignore the self-interest here of Le Devoir. I mean, obviously, uh, Journal de Quebec was a competitor at the time. Methinks the lady doth protest too much. Uh, they weren't getting high-minded about um, uh, about Allo Police, who was doing the exact same thing, characterizing uh, Field as a monster. But um, nevertheless, uh, they never considered Allo Police uh, as uh, as a competitor. It was always seen as a gutter rag. So uh, no. Uh, moral outrage uh, from la, Le Devoir towards the um, Allo Police publication. Interesting. I think the Quebec City newspaper Le Soleil uh, manages to, to, to hit uh, the matter um, quite effectively um, without going out of bounds either 
too far left or too far right. In an editorial uh, dated October 27th, 1978, so the knowledge here is that the judge is, is, is about to make um, the decision, which we read at the, the beginning on November 3rd, the, the outcome and sentencing of uh, Field. But the, the date of sentencing was November 2nd. So on the eve of the sentencing, Le Soleil uh, publishes a, a quite a useful uh, editorial that I, I, I translated. And I, I think I might just read the whole thing because there's a lot of background here on the case and specifically about what it is, what created and creates the Gee Fields of the world. Guy Field is an immense human misery, a collection of human miseries on two legs, a marginal, deficient misery that has been barreted without a care for the society that should be protected. He has killed a seven-year-old girl, but others, those who have abandoned him, must also share the responsibility of the acts of all the Guy Fields. For many children would still be alive today. Even Judge Jean Bienvenu of the Superior Court Criminal Division, who on November 2nd must decide on a recommendation or not for a conditional release before 25 years in prison for Guilfield, guilty of the murder of Brigitte Roberge on December 28, 1977, seemed to share these words of the defense attorney, Mr. Guy Roy, yesterday afternoon at the courthouse in Quebec. The judge also endorsed the words of Mr. Roy, who qualified as covered up to hide his wrongs, the psychiatric report sent by the Peniel Institute in Montreal in the middle of the preliminary investigation of Field on the charge of murder without the document being requested by one or the other lawyers involved. Field had been released from the institution where he had been held following a charge of indecent assault in December 1976. After a considerable delay, a judge was to render a decision on April 11, 1978. In the meantime, Guy Field came to settle in Quebec City where he committed the murder of Brigitte Roberge on December 28th, 1977. Again, before we go on, I, th I think Le Soleil here deftly manages to strike the, the, the middle ground in this issue without going too far over the edge either on either side. Um, some things to note, just in this case, there are two guys named Roy. There is the defense attorney, Guy Roy, but there's also a, a, a psychiatrist, Mr. Dr. Roy, just to distinguish those two as we go on. And as you can see, basically, the, the Pinel Institute in Montreal, that's in the Far East End in, in Montreal. It's where every offender eventually goes for treatment at some point in their, if they have any longevity and as we can see, what, what happened there is that they, they just, they couldn't solve the Guy Fields, so they pushed him over the wall. 
and you know, like in many of these cases, said, let society deal with him, let the police deal with him. So that's what's going on here, to continue. Before his trial, Field acknowledged his guilt. Before the sentence, the two lawyers had to address their representations to the judge. According to the story recounted by Mrs. Carole Saint-Cyr, public prosecutor, Brigitte went to a grocery store at approximately 11.45 a.m. At 1.30, she was seen the last time walking towards the Levi Golf Course. On the 6 o'clock newscast, we learned about the disappearance. The accused had been with the girl inside a church. The investigators searched for Guy Field and find him in another church. He said he had met the girl in the church, but he left her alone. At 9.30 p.m., the body of the victim is discovered under the gallery of the golf club in a state that is repugnant to describe. Bridget died of massive hemorrhaging in the anal area and from strangulation. According to the doctors, Field claimed to be the victim, alleging that the girl had taken the initiative of the events and made advances. The facts are revolting, says Madame Saint-Cyr. The word is barely enough, continues the judge. With the help of the accounts of the lawyers and the psychiatrists who signed a joint report, Madame Fernand Lemieux and Louise Roy, we will attempt to describe the accused in order to do better to assess the scope of the criticisms addressed to the Institut Pinel and the lack of an appropriate institution for the male adaptive field. With an IQ of 58, then a teenager, Guy Field would have tried to abuse his six-year-old sister. Until the age of 13, he eats his own shit. In 1952, at the age of 19 years, he is interned at Saint-Jean-de-Dieu for robbery and vagrancy, also sexual behavior disorders and incongruous acts, signs of mental debility with behavioral disorders and sexual deviation. He escapes in 1960. In 1961, he was sentenced to one month imprisonment in Ramuski for indecent assault on a young boy. At the end of March 1962, he entered the Pinel Institute from where he escaped two months later. He returned in December 1963 following the kidnapping of a child without undergoing a trial. He then returns five or six months later. At this time, a note in his record says that Field presents a potential danger to children. In 1969, noting that there was no evidence of uncontrolled aggression or marked tendencies to violence, doctors at the Pinnell Institute, a maximum security psychiatric hospital for prisoners and acquitted persons, say they believe that Field can be brought back to Saint-Jean-de-Dieu. For a few months, when he is liberated, he leads an active life. 
finds a job and devotes himself to the elderly. Then in Montreal, found guilty on three counts of indecent assault, he serves a month in jail. A month later, on August 15th, he is sentenced to two years in prison for indecent actions. In 1976, he pleads guilty to another charge of indecent assault, but the case dragged on pending medical reports that were to lead to a decision on April 11, 1978. From September 1976 to September 1977, he is under the jurisdiction of the Pennell Institute Outpatient Clinic following a conviction of pedophilic behavior. The tests do not reveal that he is a danger and Field is released. During the preliminary inquiry for the Brigitte Roberge murder, without being asked for, a report arrived in Quebec City, presumably from the Pennell Institute, declaring Guy Field capable to defend himself, to which Judge Bienvenue remarked, quote, I would like to know the brave man who made the decision to let Field free. To continue. The problem, according to Dr. Roy, Field displays a common aggression toward frightened children. He suffers from mental deficiency with perverse tendencies, but at the time of committing his crimes, his mental state allows him to judge the nature and quality of his act. The only possible treatment would be an environmental therapy for observing the behavior of these antisocial people. There are such institutions, but the maladaptive patients must leave at the age of 18. If they find themselves in detention centers for committed crimes, or if they remain in society, they become, quote, troublemakers, says Guy Roy. Uh, it's difficult to defend this immense human misery, especially since he admits that he is not able to plead insanity. Raw's client, he acknowledged, is responsible for his action, but the responsibility lies not only with him, but also with other persons who have not taken the necessary steps to prevent the death of a child. Quote, I do not only plead for Field, but for all the others who have not been treated. Brigitte Roberge would still be alive and many more children in other cases, if a man like Geefield had been dealt with to protect society. You do not have to be an expert to see that this man treated for pedophilic behavior who abducted a child and committed many indecent assaults was a problem. But those who have responsibility for his release have certainly not had a member of their family attacked by this kind of man. There were clear indicators that Guy Field could have operated within a framework, but because he was never referred to a probation officer or a social worker, today we are left with a murder. The future for Field for this type of crime will not be good in a prison environment, Leopold Dion 
was murdered in prison, as Field confided to his doctors. I will be made like Dion. Monsieur Roy asked the judge that Field be incarcerated at the Institut Penal, if condemned to prison for life. The law of the middle is severe, and it does not distinguish between a normal man and a man like Field, who will be executed in an ordinary penitentiary. The only right that remains to him is life, Dr. Roy Roy wrote in the report that upon Field's arrival at the Quebec City Detention Center, he was, quote, scourged by the clients of the center, unquote, and that Field had tried to commit suicide. And yesterday morning, he had pointed out, in an ordinary prison, it is a terrible fate for those prisoners condemned for the perversion of children. They must be continually watched, they are ostracized, and are the victims of abuse that can go as far as causing death. There is no place conceived for this type of prisoner. But it seems that in their reports, the Penal Institute, the only institute with maximum security for these people, does not want Guy Field anymore. You may say, well, fine. For the Gee Fields of the world, uh, lock them up and let the prison population take care of the problem. Uh, and that's fine, but it doesn't solve the problem. Uh, even when you, if you answer the question, who killed Teresa? Um, solve that, but you'll still have a, a second question. And the second question will be, who created Gee Field? And, and until you have an intervention that prevents the creation of these people, that's the only way you're going to, to stop having victims like uh, Brigitte Roberge. And if all of this sounds all too familiar to you, it's because everything we've just recounted is the subject of Who Killed Teresa 2, Episode 9, uh, the case of nine-year-old Jalil Campo in the episode Beasts of the Forest. Uh, Jalil Campo could be a body double for Brigitte Roberge. Both these little girls with pixie cuts, the same thing. And if you recall, uh, Campo was walking to a friend's house. Uh, she's abducted by Eric Doldelin, a career c- criminal who who society and the police had been aware of for 20 years. And she's raped, sexually assaulted, and, and, and murdered. And people had known that Daldalin was going to strike for years. And Daldalin had been in and out of the Pinel Institute for treatment. But there was this 20 years later, after Guy Field... In 1995, we had the exact same case because the justice system does not know how to deal with these types of offenders.
I don't know what happened to Field after his sentencing, whether the uh, defense attorney's recommendation was taken and he was sentenced to Pinnell or whether he went to a hardcore prison. I've, I've, he would be today about 84 years old, so he might have, he might have died naturally. He might have been murdered. Um, I doubt the outcome was that he was released. I have an inquiry into my contact with the corrections in Quebec, and uh, if I get an answer, I'll I'll find out. But after the sentencing, after that November third article, he kind of falls off the map, and the case is is forgotten. Pay little mind to my own opinions on this matter; it is not of importance. A story is just fiction anyway. It's in the retelling of it that it actually becomes fact. And uh, what's more important is that this was a story that was completely forgotten and no one knew it until I, I dragged it out, dusted it off, and told it again in this version. I wonder... How Field appeared when police first encountered him in that church. So they they go into the church and they find him there in the Anglican church. And was 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 he praying? Was you know was he kneeling? Was he in a bench? How was he dressed? Had he washed himself? Changed his clothing? since he had committed the crime that afternoon? Or did he appear just as he had left the naked body of Brigitte at that golf course? That's our podcast for uh, this week. Uh, If you like us, please uh, give us a rating on wherever you listen to us, whether it's Podbean or Stitcher or iTunes. I'll I'll be going on vacation pretty soon uh, for the month of August, so I'll probably be um, there'll be radio silence for then. I um, I will be in Canada doing some research over that time. Uh, you can follow us on uh, social media platforms. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at JusticeGuy, at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y. And there's a specific uh, Twitter handle for this podcast, which is at Teresa Lore, at T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. There is a website, TeresaLore.com, where I, I will post a there's there's not a lot of um, um, visual content for this episode, but I will post pictures of Field and Roberge, and I took some um, uh, Google Map snapshots of the locations referred to in the the Field Roberge case. I'll put those up. You can follow us on Facebook at Teresa Lore the podcast and. Again, with the social media stuff, you, you get bonus stuff. You get, I don't know, bonus visuals and thoughts and stuff like that. So, yeah, you follow it. It's fun, I guess. Um, 
There's also a, there's a YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube and just search on Teresa Lore, you can find um, film archives um, of the Teresa Lore case. That's uh, that's it for this week. Uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, this has been Who Killed Teresa. I'm your host, John Allure, and have yourselves a great, great
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Every advertiser knows the perfect campaign needs the perfect music to make it really pop. With Premium Beat, you get tracks produced by award-winning musicians working in world-class studios. So all of your videos will sound and feel professional. Best of all, unlike other music providers, our license gives you tracks for a lifetime. Pay once and never again. Save 25% on your next track. Just visit premiumbeat.com royalty free slash podcast to redeem your coupon. That's premiumbeat.com royalty free slash podcast.